The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com events where you can get your tickets. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It is Wednesday, August the 9th, and you're very welcome to the weekly politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. That ominous rumble, which we can all hear in the background these days, is the sound of enormous chickens coming home to roost as the inexorable two-year timetable for Brexit is set in train by the activation of Article 50. There has been a clear shift in the language used by the Irish government in recent weeks, with Leo Varadkar much more vocal than his predecessor on what is seen as foot-dragging by the British government on crucial areas which directly affect our national interest, not least the nature of the post Brexit border on the island of Ireland. In recent days, we've had the unusual sight of the Fianna Fáil Brexit spokesman Stephen Donnelly berating a Fine Gael Taoiseach for, and I quote, clumsy diplomacy alienating the unionist community. The Irish Times has featured opinion columns from opposing sides of the spectrum from many people in the, this subject in the last few days. Also from the DUP's chief whip at Westminster, Geoffrey Donaldson, and our own Fintan O'Toole. And we're joined by both of them on the line. But first, with me in studio is Fia Kelly from our political staff, who has a story on the front page of the paper today, Fia about what strategy is actually driving Leo Varadkar's recent approach to this subject? Well, one of the considerations um, behind Leo Varadkar's uh, statements and language in recent weeks, which you said, has become much more strident in its tone, if not its content, because government figures maintain its position has not changed, just the language used around it has, is that they rightly uh, see that the circumstances have changed in the UK following the general election, the inconclusive general election, at which uh, th- uh, Theresa May lost seats for the Conservatives and the Conservatives had to enter into a confidence supply deal with Jeffrey's DUP. And previous to the election, there was very much uh, a kind of momentum behind the hard Brexit that, that was outlined by Theresa May in her Lancaster House speech earlier this year. The debate has opened up again in London after the election with fissures opening within the UK cabinet. We see people like Philip Hammond pushing for a softer Brexit. He's already got agreement uh, for a transition period probably out to 2022, during which time most of the, I suppose, conditions of EU membership will still apply, although there is some sort of renaming around whether you'd have free movement, what would you call it, but would probably still be free movement in effect. Our government believe that in such a scenario and where the, the vin- opinion is also divided in the opposition Labour Party and you have the business community speaking out as well now, that is perhaps opportune for the Irish government to make clear its concerns, particularly around the border. And they felt that the way to do that, the way to penetrate within 
London and into the UK media and into the UK political discourse was to use this type of language. And they judged that a success by the fact that what Leo Varadkar said in the last two weeks has got picked up in London. He's now been inserted into the debate somewhat as the next round of negotiations begin later this month between Michel Barnier and David Davis. And we're expecting a number of position papers from the British government in the next week or two. They believe that the time was right for the Irish government to reassert itself in the debate in the UK to try and influence it towards as soft a Brexit as possible. Now, Geoffrey Donaldson, you've been critical of this approach. Uh, you were very critical in an opinion column in the Irish Times on Saturday. Does Fiat's explanation of what's going on change your opinion in any way? Well, it, it ignores, I think, part of at least of the uh, motivation behind this stance by Leo Varadkar, and that's, of course, domestic politics and um, in the Irish Republic and the prospect of a general election at some stage. And I think the Taoiseach um, um, is speaking out uh, partly because um, there's a domestic agenda and a domestic audience as well. We had a very good meeting with the Taoiseach on Friday. I think we cleared the air on a number of issues. He made clear that he was not uh, promoting the idea of a um, border in the Irish Sea that had been taken off the table and that he wanted to work with us to um, uh, see how we can ensure that the outcome from Brexit um, has the least impact in terms of movement uh, of goods and people across the border. Now, clearly, we don't know yet um, what that will look like because the UK is committed to leaving the customs union, is committed to leaving the single market, but wants to negotiate a new trade agreement with the EU and wants to negotiate a new customs agreement with the EU. Philip Hammond has talked about a transition period. I have to contradict Fiat uh, and say that I don't think that position has yet been agreed conclusively by the government. Um, that's certainly not my understanding in our contacts with the government of Westminster. Um, I think that is part of the ongoing dialogue with Brussels, but it's not a certainty that the UK will seek, um, and indeed not a certainty that it would obtain um, a, an extension, uh, a transition period, because of course, as Fenton pointed out in his Irish Times article, um, every single EU member state has a veto over that, and it only takes one member state to stand up and say, no, my own preference would be that we don't have um, a transition, that we get an agreement within the period of the negotiation, and that gives people certainty. Finton, uh, Jeffrey referred to your column there, which uh, I would say I found uh, I found quite provocative. Really, it, it, it hinges on that uh, fact which uh, Jeffrey Donaldson just referred to, which is that if there is some sort of an extension or an interregnum period agreed, that it's subject to unanimous vote, which gives Ireland. Uh, you, you couched it quite colourfully. I mean, I can almost say you know a, a weapon uh, which it doesn't have otherwise. Is that fair? Yes, I mean that's very much the way um, I characterise it, and I think it, it is fair. I mean. Jeffrey quite rightly pointed out that there are domestic politics at play. Um, and I think it's time that the UK in general woke up to the fact that the Republic of Ireland is a sovereign state. It has its own interests. And it is perfectly legitimate for that state to uh, advance those interests. This is a vital national interest as far as the 26 counties is concerned, is, is the nature of the border. Um, I mean, this is an existential question. It's, it's a really profound question for the uh, long-term future of, of our state as well as for the island as a whole. And there are domestic politics at play here, which is that if you have a veto, 
it becomes impossible, and this has to be understood, no Irish government, whether it's Leo Varadkar, Michal Martin, Jerry Adams, anybody, it doesn't matter who they are, no Irish government can agree to the imposition of a hard border on the islands of Ireland. And the odd thing, in a sense, is that the more powerful you are, the more, uh, the more that imperative operates, right? So there were, there were basically three possible scenarios. The first of them was the uh, walk away from the table scenario that was being mooted. You know, the, 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 the no deal is better than no a bad deal. No deal is better deal. than a bad deal, right? I think it finally dawned after 14 months that this is ludicrous and it's not going to happen because it can't happen, because the planes don't fly, because your nuclear power stations have to close down, because you can't do really basic things that you need to do just in order to survive as a modern economy. It doesn't mean that it's completely off the table because we're in a situation of such volatility and, and there's, there's a, a, a lunatic fringe, which is quite powerful. But for all practical purposes, I think we can rule it out. Secondly, um, there's the scenario that obviously Jeffrey would like to see, right, which is that a deal is concluded fully, clean break, all done by March 2019. I think that scenario is increasingly improbable, to put it no more strongly. Uh, there there is as yet, and I I mean, Jeffrey alluded to this in in what he was saying earlier, there's not even agreement in the British cabinet about what it wants. They are still negotiating effectively with themselves. There's an internal Tory party negotiation still going on after 14 months about where they want to go with this. So Philip Hammonds came out very explicitly and claimed that the entire cabinet was in support of a transitional period. Jeffrey, who I would think has very, very good contacts, has told us that that's not the case. I mean, this is anarchic, you know, and the idea that an anarchic government, which has no authority and has no internal coherence, uh, is going to be able to negotiate the incredible complexity of oh, okay, let, let, by March 20th. Let me put that to Jeffrey. It isn't really credible. Let me put that to Jeffrey, and, and specifically that point, as Finton says, Jeffrey, you, you as, uh, are in a, a wonderful position to offer us some insight into what the position of the cabinet, whether you know whether it's unified or not, is at the moment. I mean, you are supporting this 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 government in power. Uh, a lot of people have remarked on the various splits, and a lot of people have also suggested, as uh, as Fiek was saying earlier, that the balance of power within the cabinet has shifted more towards Hammond and the soft Brexiteers in recent months. Well, the Prime Minister, I think, is very clear about what she wants from um, uh, uh, an outcome. And uh, she leads the government. Um, Yes, there are different opinions within the cabinet. Uh, That's a healthy thing. Uh, We can't expect that um, after a very detailed debate leading up to the referendum and since then, the people will simply abandon all of their views. Um, There will be healthy debate around the cabinet table. Um, I I understand that what has happened is that they're going to talk to the EU negotiators about what implementation of an agreement would look like. And we are talking implementation. We're not talking about um, a situation after 18 months or two years where there is no agreement. Um, And Fenton is right. A a no deal um, um, option is, of course, um, still there. But um, it's certainly not my preferred outcome, nor is it the UK government's preferred outcome. In terms of um, a transitional period, um, that could be a year, it could be two years, we don't know. And that is about implementing 
the practical arrangements that would flow from an agreement, whether that be a customs agreement or a trade agreement um, with the EU, uh, and putting in place the practical arrangements. And it will take time, I accept that, and um, it'll take time in terms of what happens with the border in the Irish Republic. So I think that um, uh, there is a tendency on the part of some elements of the UK media to exaggerate the differences of opinion within the, the cabinet. Um, I think that um, they are on the detail rather than on the principle um, of Brexit. And uh, the government is still determined to bring this to a successful conclusion. And Theresa May is still very much in charge of that. Fiat, can I ask you, uh, I mean, we've talked earlier about this is about a change in tone and uh, presentation rather than policy. But as I said at the outset, Fianna Fáil, Stephen Donnelly was very critical of the government for seizing a or stopping a process, which I gather was in train, which was examining what the technological options in relation to this quote unquote frictionless border might be. Is that a valid criticism or is that a process which had come naturally to an end anyway? I think there, there is a valid criticism to that, that that was definitely work that was being done by the revenue commissioners assessing various points around the border to see if there was scope for a frictionless as possible to use that phrase, uh, passing between so, Northern Ireland. So was that decision an outcome of Varadkar's kind of statements last week, essentially along the lines of, we're not going to do your dirty work for you? Essentially, yes, that, you know, this is your problem, as he put it. You must come up with solutions to that problem and we will listen to those solutions. I think the government is not completely against this idea. They don't want as soft as border, as, as soft a border as possible, but they are hoping that the British government will come to them with some proposals and perhaps they're injecting a bit of reality last week saying you must come to us now because the view is very much that we are entering a critical phase in these talks. We are entering into a summit in October at which Theresa May is expected to give a lot more detail about where she wants this relationship to go. There's a General Affairs Council a couple of weeks before that. General Affairs Council is basically a pre-summit meeting of generally foreign ministers where they laid a groundwork for the full summit of the heads of state and government. And we are anticipating that Theresa May is going to be making a keynote speech in September to further define what she envisages with Brexit now. So the Irish government is very much of the view that we have to make our position felt at this stage when it's still taking shape. And there is, it is still fraught with massive difficulties because as we saw over the weekend, there was a story in the Telegraph on Sunday which suggested that the British government were preparing to pay a 40 billion euro uh, bill as part of a settlement to accelerate the talk. Which is, one of, which is the first which hurdle is the they first, need to jump. Yes, they need, to jump, to, they need yep. to jump the hurdle to get to the second phase, which is what they want, which is to talk about a future free trade deal. And there was an immediate kickback from that from Downing Street as well. Our government is of the view as well that it would like the talks to move quickly to that second phase. But well, of they, course, because that's the one that yes, affects us most directly. Affects us one of, but they are again of the view that the British government need to come up with some detailed puzzles on all of these issues to help people who, like our government, are in favour of progressing the talks to make that argument around the table. Because bear in mind, our government are very much, we are part of the 27, but reality is that we would like it to move quickly and not get bogged down in objections from others around the table. I'll come back to Finton in a moment, but Geoffrey, I just want to ask you about that. Just, just two questions about that. One is, isn't, isn't it really almost impossible to talk about what kind of guard, you know, controls might be on a border until the overall picture of the overall deal on customs union 
between the UK and the EU is is, is trashed out at least at a, on, a, on a general level. And and secondly, is there not an, some kind of an absurdity anyway about some of this talk about technological solutions? I mean, I I, I have to refer to the, the the tweet that you put up a little over a week ago. I saw it myself because I follow you on Twitter, where you had a map of Ireland with all the uh, the um, the automated toll gates on our on our motorways in the Republic, and said if we can do that, we can sort out a technological solution. Well, listen, I got one of those things on my car. It's a very basic piece of technology. It won't tell you who's in it or what's in the boot or what's in the back of a van or any of that stuff. Isn't that sort of an indication of a what's been a general criticism of the DUP in particular, that they just haven't been taking this seriously? Uh, well, uh, look, uh, I was merely pointing out that um, uh, when it comes to the movement of people, there are technological solutions and they are a lot more complex, believe me, than um, the uh, toll booth um, situation. I merely used that as an example of where technology offered a solution. I wasn't suggesting for one moment that the solution is to put toll booths on every cross-border road between uh, Northern Ireland and the Republic. Of course not. Um, I'm, I was simply pointing out that you know technology is rapidly advancing and it is part of the solution. It's not all of the solution. Of course it's not. Behind technology, you have people. You have people who need to operate it. Um, and, and therefore, you know, we believe, and uh, I've talked to the UK government about this, they're doing a lot of research on this at the moment, um, and they believe that, that technology is certainly part of how we will ensure that we get a relatively frictionless um, border. It won't be entirely frictionless, but it will be relatively frictionless, or at least that's what we're hoping for. Um, but you're right, we need a legal and political context um, in which to design um, the solutions. And so we can't design the solutions at the moment. And, you know, it might be fun for some people to prod the DUP and say, what's your solution? What's your solution? Well, frankly, I can't offer the solution until we've got the political and legal context for it, the agreements um, which will determine um, what happens with customs, what happens with trade. Um, and indeed, the free, um, uh, the, the common travel area. Uh, are we going to get to retain the common travel area between our two countries? So these things are important. And until we have those decisions made, of course, we can't design the solution. But I think it's right to say that technology can be part of it. And if it isn't going to be part of it, are we really suggesting we take Ireland back 50 years to people standing in the middle of a road stopping cars? Fintan, in your in your column yesterday, um, you know, as I say, you, you did sort of have this, you know, slightly uh, uh, warlike uh, metaphor of, of Ireland having a we- weapon should there be a uh, require, requirement for an unanimous vote in relation to an interregnum period. But what would it use that weapon for? And specifically in relation to this, which is probably the single major issue for Ireland, which is the, the question of the border and trade between and movement between Ireland, North and South. What should it be seeking uh, if, if it does have increased leverage? Well, so its leverage comes about in, in, in two phases. Um, firstly, and I think crucially, and we're not really focusing on this um, in the Republic at all, which is that October is the first deadline. There's going to have to be a crucial political decision made by the government of Ireland in October, because October is when uh, the EU and the UK have to agree on whether or not there is sufficient progress, that's of course the term, has been made on the three big issues, money, people, and Ireland, in order to allow the actual negotiations on the final status to even begin. And Ireland is in an incredibly powerful position in relation to that, because if the Irish government says, 
there has not been sufficient progress, uh, in our view, then the, it effectively has a veto because it becomes impossible for the final status negotiations to even start. So it's in a very powerful position. And it's a very difficult decision to make, which is, if it's vague, if it's just a set of promises about, don't worry, the technology will sort it out, then it may well have to become bloody difficult. It may well have to say, I'm sorry, this is not good enough. We need detail. We need a real sense of what your proposals are as to how this border is going to work, not just the border between uh, north and south, but of course also the, the, the um, travel area that Geoffrey mentioned between, between Ireland and the UK. These are vital national interests. So that's the first phase of it. And we may just have to dig our heels in and say, look, uh, we, are, we are stopping the clock until you come back to us with something really um, very detailed and very sensible. Um, it can't just be saying, look, technology in the future will sort this out. I heard someone on during, during the week um, talking about the, the U.S.-Canada border and that that's a model. And, of course, technology works. I actually was on the U.S.-Canada border about 10 days ago. I mean, it's a border. Of course, technology works. Of course, regular trucks going back and forward or whatever can, 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 can be tagged. Um, of course, there are ways of speeding it up. But you need a border post. And you need passports and you need a whole set of arrangements which are extremely cumbersome and extremely costly for everybody involved. Um, and that's, that's within a customs union, remember, uh, effectively. They've, 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 they've got NAFTA. Um, so these are really very profound issues for us. The second um, veto we have is, is going to be on, on the final status itself. And again, um, it, it's not up to us to decide um, you know, how the Brexiteers are going to engineer a situation in which we're happy. You know, they have to factor in, and this is why I think, maybe I'm in a minority on this, but I think um, Leo Varadkar was quite right to actually use pretty strong language in relation to this, because they need to wake up to the fact that they need to convince the Irish government, which has an absolute veto over the final status of all of this, that they have come up with something that we can live with. And remember, I mean, Geoffrey mentioned in his first contribution that this is also a domestic political issue in the Republic of Ireland. It is, quite rightly. No Irish government will be able to survive if it agrees to a set of arrangements on the islands of Ireland that are obviously damaging to the interests of the Irish people. I mean, it's as simple as that. And he's also quite right then to say, look, it's up to you guys to convince us. We don't have to convince you to be nice to us. This is why I was using, if you, if you want to use those, those um, uh, metaphors about weapons, you know, we actually have real power here. And no, 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 I don't no. think the penny has dropped in the, the, the Brexit um, community, to put it no more strongly, that Ireland is a player here. It's well, not just well, let's, a let's, side Okay, 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 Fenton. Well, let's, let's just have a take about what that might mean. First, Vic, that would be very unusual in terms of the traditional Irish approach to diplomatic challenges and more than 40 years of negotiation with EU partners on very often on very thorny issues. The Irish approach has always been, has avoided confrontation and avoided aggression and has been based upon building alliances and, mm. and, and has been very effective for that. I mean, I can't think of a, a situation, maybe, maybe you can, when Ireland has adopted as, as aggressive a posture no, as we, we, Fintan well, is we, suggesting. We, we, we've been pretty aggressive in defending the interests of Apple 
against mm. the European Commission. True. True. Uh, so you know. Okay. Uh, fair uh, point. But, fair but, point. But, fair but, point. But, you know. Let's let's be clear. You're, I mean, you're right in, in 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 broad terms. This would be unprecedented. But we're in an unprecedented mm. situation. This is an existential question. Okay. Okay. Let me put it to fear. Yeah. I, I think that is correct. That the, traditionally, like Apple aside, we have been very much, you know, good Europeans around the table, trying to do the best we can by the union, and we have sought to build alliances, and we've even done that in in, in this instance as well by making some sort of common cause with the Dutch and the Danes and other countries who are most affected by Brexit. But it would be a huge step change to use a veto at uh, the European Council. Like the last one I remember it comes to mind was David Cameron a couple of years ago when he was preparing the ground for the Brexit referendum. But I think what both Jeffrey said at the start about this being partly for domestic consumption and what Vinton says there are correct as well. Let's not be entirely, you know, give Varadkar the total benefit of the doubt this is all for the national interest. There's no doubt that, that there was domestic political interest at play as well because... One of the main criticisms of Enda Kenny from people who maybe voted for Fine Gael and then drifted away from was that he didn't stand up for our interests in Europe. You know, he went over there and you'd often hear people in Vox Pop saying, you know, he took what Merkel told him to take. He was too he was soft towards... Yeah, remember that sure. famous picture of Sarkozy patting him on the side of the head? And there's no doubt but Faradkar and his people are aware of that. And they're also aware of the fact that one of the main, I suppose, shortcomings that they have come across in research carried out when he was running for leadership, when he's preparing a run, and probably since he's getting into office, is that the question of him as a leader was one that the public weren't entirely convinced by. And stances like he took in the last fortnight are perhaps translating uh, that weakness into action and saying, look, we need to address this problem. And from pe- speaking to people in Fine Gael and in the government, they are greatly heartened by the public reaction they've got to it. Jeffrey, what impact do you think this kind of change in strategy is likely to have upon politics on the island of Ireland as a whole, including the the restoration um, the restoration of Stormont? Is it going to have any impact on that? I think Brexit is having an impact and, and here's my theory um, on this. Sinn Féin will deny it, but it's my view and I've um, observed Sinn Féin in the negotiations. Um, so it's based on, on, on my observation. Um, I don't think they want to be in a government um, in Belfast for as long as Brexit um, is under negotiation. For this reason, that if Sinn Féin are in a government um, instalment, they are aligned to the British negotiating position because they get drawn into the Joint Ministerial Council meetings in London, where they've got to give their opinion on the British uh, government's negotiating stance and its impact on the regions and countries of the UK. Um, and that's a problem for Jerry Adams because he has big electoral ambitions at the next Irish general election. He wants uh, Sinn Féin to be the kingmaker in Dublin. Um, and therefore, anything that prejudices Sinn Féin's position in Dublin is uh, a threat to his electoral strategy. And therefore, I do not believe Sinn Féin want to be in the government in Northern Ireland until Brexit is sorted out because it could undermine their electoral ambitions in uh, the South. Now, Sinn Féin will deny that, but that's how we see it. Fia, qu- Fia so from your th- point of view, looking at it from the Dublin political perspective, do you think... I would actually take the it? opposite view. I think that if they don't go into government in Stormont, they are not going to go into government in Dublin, and they are gagging to get into government in Dublin, and they will not be taken seriously by the Southern electorate or by the Southern political parties if they are not willing to make Stormont work. So from that point of view, I think that it serves their electoral and governmental ambitions in Dublin to go, into, uh, go back into the power-sharing arrangement in Stormont. 
that, that's a, that, that, that's a very different interpretation. Fintan, I bring you in on this. I mean, one of the things that strikes me about this, reading various people, including you know people like Noel Whelan on our pages and many others, is that. Brexit is such a huge thing that it's it's throwing traditional notions of where people stand on the political spectrum, particularly when it comes to issues of sovereignty and nationalism, up in the air, and they're all causing them all to fall down in very unusual places. Yeah, you know, like if we stand back from it a moment, um, you know, one of the reasons why Brexit is a disaster and is is an extraordinary piece of political recklessness is that it um, it, all, it you know it, it completely ignored the very, very painstaking work that has gone into constructing a peace process and constructing a set of institutions that could stabilise Northern Ireland and could stabilise the island of Ireland as a whole and could stabilise relations between Ireland and, 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 and the UK. It completely ignored that. Um, you know, we, we, we all know that uh, the degree to which Northern Ireland or Ireland were discussed at all during the um, Brexit referendum campaign was was utterly minimal, and we know that 15 months nearly uh, will will have elapsed before the British government even comes up with a position paper on Ireland. Remember, we promised it by the end of the month. Um, that's the degree of priority that they have attached to uh, something that is a really very fundamental question for all of us on, on this island, but one, one would also have thought should be a fundamental question for people uh, on the island of Britain. After all, as we know, these histories have been, have been so hugely intertwined for so long. Um, and so we're, we're, we're left with a situation where all of that has been upended by Brexit. Brexit has, and it, it, again, in my view, it is insane for unionists in particular to have supported Brexit because it has created a fundamental instability in the United Kingdom. Uh, it, it has led to, already led to a, a crisis of authority in the UK. Um, and it has given a whole new momentum to the idea of a united Ireland. I mean, those of us who for years have been saying, look, forget about a united Ireland for the moment, leave it. It's, it's, it's a divisive, bitter issue which is not worth contesting. Let's concentrate on trying to unite people. Let's concentrate on trying to stabilize things. We've been left in a situation where we can no longer ignore these questions. One of the things that I think people um, have to just take as, as an extraordinary development is that the European Union, in its negotiating brief for Brexit, has explicitly stated that Brexit for Northern Ireland is not like Brexit for the rest of the UK. It's, it's, it's not a one-way process. That Northern Ireland can rejoin the European Union at any point if there's a United Ireland. You may think that's a good idea. You may think it's a terrible idea. It, it is a fact. And it's a fact which changes the dynamic around some of these very basic existential questions about the future of Northern Ireland, the future of the Union, the future of, of a united Ireland. My view is we would have been much better off for all of those issues to be off the table for 10 or 15 years. That's what the Belfast Agreement was actually trying to achieve, which, which was to, to come up with something that people could live with without having to tackle those enormous existential questions, because we know that those questions are ones on which there is fundamental and almost absolute division. So it's put all of this sort of stuff back on the table. You have Fine Gael, um, you know, putting a United Ireland party, its old um, uh, uh, tag, back back onto its website. We have, you know, a kind of nationalist discourse which is which is which has been has been started up again over over the whole thing. And if you get the existence of a border 
which uh, is inevitable. I mean, you know, for all the technological miracles that Jeffrey thinks are going to happen, there's going to be a physical border and it's going to create enormous resentments. It's going to reopen so many of these questions again. Um, and this is one of the reasons, I think, why we have to hope that if there's any chance that Brexit doesn't happen, and I think there still is a chance that it won't happen, that's where Irish government policy has to be uh, directed. I mean, you know, to, to be quite blunt about it, the Irish government has to be using the power it has to try to ensure that Brexit doesn't happen. Isn't, isn't that a fair criticism, Geoffrey, that, that Brexit and the move towards Brexit, it, it doesn't safeguard the union between Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom. It, it imperils it more and that the, the status quo would have been much better served um, by remaining in the EU, which copper fastens many of the institutions set up in the Good Friday Agreement. I fundamentally disagree with Fenton's assessment and my party having secured its highest ever vote I don't think Fenton is too worried about uh, your warning that we're going to shrivel away. DUP is on the rise. We've got more MPs at Westminster than we've ever had. So the idea that Brexit has been bad for my party or unionism doesn't bear out. We've got, um, for the first time in a generation, real influence at Westminster and we will use it wisely. You know, Fenton can't on the one hand argue that Brexit is a disaster and the Irish government must work um, to stop it, and then on the other hand say, but we'll exercise a veto if the UK wants to, uh, a transition period. I mean, those two things are totally contradictory. Um, and um, of course, Ireland wants the uh, UK to stay within um, the EU. I understand that. I understand why Fintan is so passionate about it. Um, but I don't believe um, I believe that um, it is in the interest of the UK. I'm a parliamentarian. I, I've been um, involved in uh, politics for over 30 years, a member of parliament for 20 years, and I've watched um, uh, the indignity of countries uh, being told by the European Central Bank how to run um, their fiscal policies. Um, I've seen countries had to be bailed out, um, and I think the UK is right to get out and get out now, because I think, unlike Fenton, who seems to think the EU is going to be a bed of roses, I believe the EU is a political experiment that's going to come um, crashing down um, in the future. I think um, economically, um, Greece, Cyprus, other countries are going to really struggle to keep up with the Germans. The Ger Germany will thrive under um, the EU, that's for sure. France will try to play catch up. But look at what's happening politically across the EU. And the hardening of attitudes, even in Italy, um, many people saying, well, what is the benefit of the EU for us? We're on uh, the cusp of economic collapse. So, you know, the idea that um, the EU is a bed of roses, that everything is fine, that it's um, that every country in the EU is benefiting from membership um, and, 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 and that the UK is mad to leave. Well, look, history will judge us. And I'm quite happy, Fenton, to be judged by history as to whether this was right or wrong. But I think that the EU is in serious trouble. They're papering over the cracks. And I think that those cracks will open further when the UK leaves. We may not be the last country to leave um, the European Union. But look, um, Ireland, um, the Republic of Ireland, if it wants to, to um, take the view, we're not going to help design proposals um, uh, to address the border. We're going to sit back. Uh, we're going to hope against hope that the UK stays within the European Union. I, I just think that that is not the right approach to take. The EU, UK is leaving the European Union. That's a fact. That's going to happen. And um, the, the, the Ireland needs to engage with this, not sit back. Um, and we want to sit down with Dublin 
and, and look at what solutions might, um, uh, how they might be developed. Um, and we want Dublin to be involved in that. You know, a border has two sides to it. And the idea that we don't have a border at the moment, I would remind Fintan that when you cross the border, it's a different currency here. That was Dublin's decision, not ours, to leave the sterling um, zone. Um, when you cross the border, there's a different fiscal regime. There are different financial arrangements with different tax levels. There is a border already. There is an economic border. That is a reality. This myth that's being put forward by some people, that the border doesn't exist at the moment, is a nonsense. And we need to challenge that. The border will change as a result of Brexit, but we can manage the change if we work together. But if Dublin decides that its view is we're going to sit back, it's up to London to fix this, it's up to London to sort this out, I just don't think that is in Dublin's interest. I don't think it's in the national interest of the Irish Republic because the Irish Republic does a lot of trade with the UK. One billion euros worth of goods and services every single week with the UK. The UK is a very important market. Um, you know, can Dublin really afford to sit back? Well, there, there's one thing I do know and I can safely predict is that this conversation is going to be continuing on this podcast and many other places over the months and indeed years to come. Thanks very much to Geoffrey Donaldson, to Fia Kelly and to Fintan O'Toole for joining us. Just to say that Fintan will be speaking at Fela in Belfast on Friday on this very subject. So check out their website to see uh, what time and where he's on. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Remember, you can find us on irishtimes.com slash podcast or you can subscribe via iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider is. And if you're already a subscriber, as always, we would be very, very grateful if you take a moment to share or recommend the podcast as it helps to get it out to a broader audience. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon and engineer JJ Vernon. Remember, you can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening. 